Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Hey everyone, I'm Laura Lavoir and this is Song Cycle, the official podcast of Cincinnati Song Initiative where we talk everything song, its history, its creation, its performance, and its ability to keep us connected through stories. In this episode, I am talking with my dear, dear friend, Dr. Shannon Cochran. Apart from being a smart, empathetic, and generally just lovely human, Shannon has done a bunch of work on researching how health, wellness, and connection can make us better artists and better people. These are the kinds of conversations that I live for. The ones that take a deep dive into how who we are as artists is just as important as what we do as artists, and that we have tools that we can use to encourage our own health, healing, and connection. Sometimes I just, I just need someone to tell me what's wrong and how to fix it. But all the time, I just need a pocket Shannon with me to tell me that singing is joyful story is the most important and that it's okay to prioritize yourself. Hey everyone, welcome to a new, brand new episode of Song Cycle. Today I am sitting down with singer and friend and doctor extraordinaire Shannon Cochran. Hello Shannon. Hi, hi. It's so good to see your beautiful face. It's so good to be here. Oh my goodness. So Shannon, we were talking before we officially started the podcast about (laughs) how to introduce yourself. (laughs) So now is your perfect opportunity to impress the people with who you are. So Shannon, who are you? What do you do? How'd you get into it? How do we know each other? What's our connection? Wow. Okay, we're starting it off strong. Okay. It's always the most awkward part, introducing yourself, especially recently finishing the doctorate program. I'm still adjusting to Dr. Cochran. That sounds like my dad, you know, or someone else that I don't really know. But so that's a new title, but uh, I am Shannon Cochran. I am a singer, a teacher, and a lover of health and wellness and fitness. And I have been a part of CSI for a few concerts 
Most recently, though, I was in Let It Be New, and that was such an incredible experience to work with living composers on their art songs and cultivate premieres of their works, which was incredibly special. And so that was most recently what I did with CSI. And of Let course, us not forget Mr. Tambourine Man. Oh, that is, if oh you don't God. know Mr. Tambourine Man, you've got to look it up. That piece is absolutely, oh, it's like a full fledge opera musical drama you feel like lady macbeth at times you feel like wow you're going through all the emotions it's a beautiful piece so i have goosebumps just thinking about it and y'all listen if you did not have motivation to sign up for csi digital and become a subscriber before now go do it stop this podcast stop whatever you're doing go sign up because you need to see dr shannon cochran sing the shit out of Mr. Tambourine Man. <laughs> yes, and of course. Incredible. Uh, also, uh, Let and, It Be New was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mr. Tambourine Man was my first experience working with Kathy Kelly as well. An incredible collaborator. and Incredible human. Of, uh, yes, feminist. Just overall art, song, music in general. Uh genius i would powerhouse. say powerhouse oh, oh yes powerhouse lady boss i don't know all of the all the good things yeah about her absolutely and i have to say that let it be new and i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before was like i think it was my first experience of live music um kind of within the pandemic i mean you know like i had kind of done virtual um you know, choral things and auditions and whatever. But this was my first time being in a room with people who sang music at me. I sobbed. Yeah. I think that's one of the most special things to come out of this year was being able to step back in to music in front of people and not through a screen like we got so accustomed to for over a year. And a lot of us are still doing it currently, but having that little moment, even with only four other people in the room to be able to sing and share that moment in time in the same space is so incredible and just reminds us why we do what we do and why we do it in a live capacity. So what has that experience been for you as you've kind of, well, I know you're back, you know, you're teaching now, obviously that's in person. But what has that experience been for you as a performer? Like you said, stepping back into music in front of people, what has that experience been like for you? And have you noticed that like audiences are responding differently? Have you noticed that you're responding differently now that we've gone through this sort of collective trauma over the last two years? There's a new level of nervousness stepping back in to singing in front of people for the first time. But with that nervousness, it almost feels like the nerves of pre-academic knowledge. And what I mean by that is all of the technical things, all of the body things that you've been told to drop the larynx, don't hold your jaw, relax the shoulders, breathe. You have all this checklist in your mind. Don't make that face. Let your eyebrows relax. Like all those things as you're singing and going. I'm hearing Gwen Coleman running through my brain right now. <laughs> oh, always, always. It's almost like a lot of that has stepped away and you're able to remember the joy of singing again, even if 
you still have Dr. Coleman (laughs) or your teacher telling you, make sure you do X, Y, and Z, make sure you hit all these points, but you're able to step back and feel the nerves. Like this is your first time singing in front of people or to feel the character a bit more because you just have the joy of getting to do this for people and getting to do it for people right there versus through a screen. And that energy in the room is electric. To feel another person's energy in the same space is why we continue to do what we do. That connection with another human being is so powerful and visceral that sometimes I feel like I'm not back to square one as far as a performer, but I'm back to that joy and I'm exploring more. I'm experimenting. I'm letting things go like I haven't done in such a long time. I'm not so stuck in my mind as to what I'm doing. And I can allow things, like if I don't hit something how I wanted to, it just happened. Let it go. Moving on. And I'm feeling things a bit more than I would when I was trying to be perfect because that's how a lot of academia in music can make you feel like you have to be, you have to be perfect. But when you don't sing for 15 months in front of people and you finally get to, you realize being perfect is not important. Sharing your story is important. Yes. Yes. Sharing your story, getting to communicate on a level that isn't just through spoken word, but through music. And to share that experience with others is why you do it. I'm so in that boat with you right now because like you, especially when, you know, you were doing both an AD and a DMA at the same time at CCM, which is just like input overload, where people are constantly telling you how to improve vocally, stage-wise, musically, you name it, diction, everything. I have found for myself over the past mm, six or so months as I've kind of tiptoed my way back into singing that all of that information is still there, but I have I've found like freshness in that information and that it is helping me find the beauty in music and in expression. And if those academic or informational inputs aren't serving the beauty and the freshness and the expression of the music, then I don't really care anymore. A hundred percent. My stepping stone, I keep saying stepping into, because I feel like we're putting on shoes when we get ready to perform, but whether you wear heels or flats or barefoot, whatever you do, there's now this opportunity to remember why you started this in the first place, why you decided to pursue it in more than just a hobby or more than just for fun. You wanted to dig deeper into it and understand more of the nuance and also create and cultivate your own inner artist. And sometimes you need that outside input to get you there. I feel like as you get further and further along in your studies. And also when you step out of your studies, you're able to, like you said, figure out, okay, that input's helpful. That input is helping me feel this and get to that place. And that one today, it's not helping me where I need to go. And that's okay. 
And instead of feeling like you have to take on hundreds of ideas of what you got to sound like, what you got to wear, what you have to sing, how you have to sing it, how you need to stand, what your body needs to do. And sometimes you just have to shake that all off and remember that it's you and you are the one singing it. You are the one doing it. And so why not start with you? And if any of those pieces of advice, outside input becomes internal input, great. If it doesn't, it's okay. But start with you. I will start with me. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. Um, That's so all. This, this tails really nicely into... Um, well, normally I start off by asking someone what art song is, but I'm going to put a pin in that and ask you that later because I think what we're talking about right now is more important. Because you mentioned when you introduced yourself that you are like an advocate for health, wellness, and fitness. And you're talking a lot about how, you know, these inputs are great, you know, how you use your body, whatever. But sometimes those inputs are better used at some times than in others or just not helpful at all or during a pandemic, just kind of useless information if you're not even using them. So for you, what has that journey been? And I guess we can talk a little bit about how it's led to your research as well. But what has that journey been for you moving through kind of what you're being told about how your body should be, how you should sound, how you should think about your sound, how you should think about yourself and your artistry? What has that journey sort of generally been for you from, I guess, the beginning of where you started formally? training as a singer until now as a, as a teacher how has that journey been for you and now how has that manifested in your own in your own teaching and your own perception of yourself i feel like this is the the question and the journey that every singer has to take it can be an incredibly tough journey i found it to be really challenging for a while because i as a young singer and even into my mid 20s i didn't really understand who I was. Not necessarily as a person, but as an artist. I took on the ideas of what other people wanted me to sing, what other people thought I should and shouldn't do. And I constantly was asking for outside guidance. And I never really took the time to stop and say, okay, but what do I like? What fills me? What do I actually enjoy to sing and to be living in as a character? And I found that around my second year and into my first year of my master's and then first year of the AD, I started to ask more of those questions. I was still unsure of what my voice was, where it fit, but I knew I didn't connect with a lot of the characters from, oh, name any opera from back in the day. And it wasn't me. And I could put on the character shoes and I could sing, I could do it. But was it really what I wanted? Was it really who I was and the story I wanted to tell? And I had to ask myself those questions. And eventually I realized even within the last two years, I would say the pandemic has probably allowed a lot of artists to stop and think about what they want, who they are, and where they want to go and what they want to do. And that time allowed me to dive into art song more. And again, we can put that pin for later, but the 
art form allows you to have a bit more creativity at times because you have to do a bit more of the digging as to what the story is and how it resonates with you. And you get to share more of yourself with it. And that's something that I learned for myself is art song has a big part of my heart. And I don't think I would have found that if I would have continued to just listen to what everyone else was telling me to do. And then as I kind of mentioned this earlier, I felt like I was trying to be perfect, always trying to sing everything exactly how it needed to be sung, perform everything perfect with the right diction, the right tempo, the right body, the right acting, hitting all the marks. And I found I was pushing it too far and things were becoming stiff and things were becoming, to be honest, not fun. And I lost that joy of singing and I lost the joy of myself as an artist. And I lost who I was as an artist. As an artist, I had no idea anymore. And through a journey of health and wellness by especially inner work with health and wellness, like meditation and mindfulness, journaling, I was able to dig deeper into myself and to remind myself that as an artist, my artist is me. It's not anyone else. So all of the parts of me, all of that inner turmoil, the things that maybe I would believe to be my faults back in the day that were stopping me from being perfect were the things that made me my artist, the things that really made me special. And it took a lot of time to find that, but I was able to find it through this mindfulness and mind-body practices, which eventually led to my research in my doctorate program. And in my doctorate program, I wanted to figure out where the lack was in an academic institution for artists. I felt like there was so much emphasis on technique, on the building of an artist, the outside of it, and the vocal instrument. But the instrument doesn't stop at the throat. So why are we putting all of the attention on the throat when the artist is the artist from head to toe? So in this field, you see a lot of people falling in love with music. They decide to pursue it. They go into an undergraduate program. They continue on and then eventually they burn out. They get tired. They lose their joy. They lose their passion. They realize like, this is going to be so much work to be financially stable or there's all these hurdles that come. And all of those hurdles are things that I felt we didn't figure out how to address in an academic program, particularly for vocalists, but for all musicians. There was this lack of how do we take care of the artist as a whole human being instead of just an artist as a performer. I realized that the inner work that I did through mind-body work, through meditation, was how I was able to bring my inner artist back. And I wanted to create a practice for other singers, just based off of where my project went to for my 
doctorate, but for other musicians, other artists, to also put part of their curriculum focused on their inner self, on their health and wellness. So it ended up being a seven-week project where I introduced a group of students to all these tools that are mind-body tools to help them learn things about themselves, to help them express themselves, and to also put themselves as a priority. As an artist, it may seem like, well, your art, your working, living, breathing what you do, which, yes, that is how our academic institutions may make it seem, but a lot of us lose the personhood out of that. We lose ourselves in that. And so we needed time to focus on, oh yeah, let's check back in with Laura. Let's check back in with Shannon. And let's make sure that that part of you is thriving and joyful. So that seven-week practice, some of the tools that I worked with with the students journaling, meditation, nutrition, sleep. How often are we in rehearsals until 10, 11, 12? And then at least while you're in school, you might have to turn around, wake up 8 a.m. You got a class. And it's always theory. It's always, always, it's always theory or like (laughs) piano. And you're like, wait a second. (laughs) I'm not awake for this yet. So trying to remember to prioritize those things as well. Another would be exercise and exercise that's joyful movement, not killing yourself at the gym. If that's what you really want to do, go have your fun. All right. But moving your body, maybe on a walk and paying attention to what you're seeing. It's mindful movement, joyful movement. And then one of my personal favorites, moments of joy, like the simple things of your day. If you love coffee, when you wake up in the morning, really pay attention to when you're making your coffee, whether it's an espresso or you do French press, really think about the grounds, putting them into your French press, boiling the water, watching it, smelling it, and not letting your mind drift to checking your emails or thinking about what you have later in the day and just being present in that simple pleasure, that little joy. And on top of that, not feeling guilty when, if you really love to watch Netflix or some other show on like, you like to binge watch, don't feel guilty. If that's what gives you pleasure in that moment. I think it's important. We spend at least five, 10 minutes of our day doing something that gives us joy. Because if we put an emphasis on joyful, habitual things, we will see more joy in our day-to-day. I've been sitting over here. I have half a page of notes. (laughs) I don't know if you can see that, but I have half a page of notes of everything that you've talked about because I have so many things I want to pick apart in all of this. Because it's amazing and so important. And I think we are finally getting to a point in musical education where there's room for this. I don't think when I started undergrad, there was no room for this. It was just, it was all the technical building. If you had a breakdown or if you 
you know, wanted to take time for yourself. There was no time to take for yourself. There was no time for a breakdown. Or if you had a breakdown, you still had to go to rehearsal. (laughs) And there's some things that I really just want to point out that you said that I think are so important. And then a couple of follow-up questions that I want to ask you. The first thing is that you said that you are an artist from head to toe. I think that's going to be your slogan for whatever branding thing that you end up doing with this later. (laughs) You're an artist from head to toe. I love it. I think that's so important because, and you you said this where you kind of hear this adage where it's like you're a human being, not a human doing. And Mm -hmm. I think that applies so even more so to being an artist as you are an artist being, not an artist doing. And I'm sure if, like, you've done all of this work, like, you know the work of, like, Artist Way, you know Brene Brown. And those have been, for me, very instrumental in my work as an artist. What I want to know about your sort of, I guess, curriculum, for lack of a better term, that you built is, like, do you have some sort of resource where people can find this or do these exercises for themselves? Or is it just sort of a... Write a list, put it on a sticky note, stick it on your bathroom mirror, and remind yourself to take 10 minutes of joy every day. I think some of the pieces you can find different resources for. Like, for example, meditation, there's Headspace, there's Calm, there's a ton of videos just on YouTube. But for the project, I wrote and recorded a bunch of meditations. And That's actually a goal of mine soon is to kind of have my own platform, a website blog of some sort where I'll have those. So stay tuned, more to come with that. uh, To have, I will will be your first subscriber. I will be, (laughs) I will sign up. I will be your number one fan. (laughs) Yay. Yeah. So that's on my list to have more of those resources that are kind of the physical work as far as meditation, journaling with prompts, different exercises that you might consider to be mindful or moments of joy or simple pleasures, but things like exercise, I have, I'm yoga certified. So I've also have done yoga videos that will be on there, but that is something that I believe that when you move your body in a joyful way, it brings more joy for you. And so there's no right or wrong as to how you move your body and in what way. And nutrition is filling yourself to feel good and whatever that means for you. And there's such a lack of time sometimes in music education academia where you are from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. in a class or in a rehearsal and you hardly have time to eat anything besides the banana and granola bar you packed at 7.30 in the morning. So you are running around, hardly eating anything. And then all of a sudden you're eating a lot because you're so hungry. And then you just feel stretched thin. But putting the emphasis on taking a little time to be mindful while you're eating, whatever it is you're eating, pizza, salad, pasta, a chocolate bar, whatever it is, but to let yourself breathe while you do it. Don't be so rushed and hurried to finish it. And that's also with sleep. We mentioned how sometimes I laugh about this, but there's almost praise in being tired where, oh gosh, I got only three hours of sleep last night. Like I really, I'm just. Wow. wow. You're working so hard. Congratulations. Here's your gold star. 
And, oh, it's so sad. We know the studies. We know how important sleep is. We know that to be a functioning person, you need to have rest and sleep. And I hope that as people change up the way music education is being programmed, that we put more of an emphasis on the care and well-being of the students. As far as moments of joy, that's something that is totally up to the artist, up to the individual, things that fill you. Uh, There's a mezzo who loves knitting, loves crafting. And I would say that's her moment of joy, her simple pleasure, something that fills her and also helps her be a better artist. Because when you are taking care of your health mentally, physically, emotionally, you will be more in tune with your own emotions, with your own self, and be able to be a full artist. I just agree. I wish there was something stronger than agree where it's like I'm in like symbiosis with what you're saying. Like I'm living inside of it because I agree. But I also, I feel like so many people, especially like our age and younger, are actively trying to include this in our literal practice, like in our singing, in our performance, in our daily life, in our routines, and trying to create space for these things. In a world where, like, if you're anything like me and you have a normal day job on top of, and I mean, probably for you too as a teacher and trying to maintain some kind of artistic career in addition to that, finding time for all of these things is not only not always possible, but it's actively discouraged by corporate America. (laughs) I swear this is not a product plug, but one of the things that has brought me an immense amount of joy is washing my face at the end of the day. Because I found this incredible skincare line that is stupid expensive, but I realized it's worth the investment called May Lindstrom Skin. And she has this beautiful website that just makes you feel like you are the guardian goddess protector protector of your sanctity, your sanctified space of like taking care of yourself and the rituals surrounding that. And I was like... I absolutely want to buy all of your products. <laughs> and yes. so I have I have like all of them and it has truly like turned into this beautiful ritual for me that not only brings me joy but it makes me feel like I'm taking care of myself. So if you're in if you need some some new skincare, <laughs> highly recommend. It took me a little while to save up for some of it. <laughs> oh my gosh, skincare is so expensive, but you're right. Those rituals or things that you have in your day-to-day is where I would start often for if you can't think of something that you would want to put in your day to actively think like, this is my moment of joy. Because some people are very practical people in that way where they're like, why am I going to force myself to be joyful? Well, what's something you already do every single day? Skincare, coffee, tea, walk your dog, brush your teeth. How can you be more mindful in that moment? How can you be less focused on the tasks that are upcoming and be focused on what you're feeling in that present state, in that movement, in that time? And that's how you can start. That's where you can dip your toe into that. And then you'll be able to find those moments in so many things to be joyful in it, 
when you're cooking is another big one for people. Instead of maybe scrolling through TikTok or Instagram, which guilty, but while you're cooking, be really focused on how things smell, how things look, the colors changing. And that can be your time to just be in that moment. Another thing I was going to say, you brought up books, resources like Brene Brown or The Artist's Way. Uh, There's so many that you can pick up, like The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown is a book you could pick up at one year, read it the next year and learn new things and gain different tools just by reading through it multiple times. So that's another way you can do a lot of that inner work, that health and wellness uh, prioritization, just by picking up a book and reading a couple pages, reading a little bit on how to let go or how to dig deep or how to be a good friend. All of those things will help you to be a better artist because you are learning more about yourself, your likes and your dislikes, and also learning about how to just be yourself. And so definitely books are another great resource where you don't really have to seek out something. They will give you those tools there. And I would always recommend, I know some people might be like, I do not write in my book, but if you've got little sticky notes or pencil, a highlighter, whatever, however you want to do it, but mark that page when something really resonates with you or underline it. And so then later, if you read it again, or you come back to that chapter, you can see what inspired you or what really kind of dug into you. And you can dig a little bit deeper into why, what is the reasoning why that really hit so strongly with you? So definitely books are a huge, huge resource to this. Absolutely. I actually just discovered fairly recently, because of Brene Brown's podcast, a book by two sisters, Dr. Emily and Dr. Amelia Nagoski, called Burnout, which has been huge. Like, I love Brene Brown for all of the reasons we all love Brene Brown. But I needed practical applications to de-stressing and like just managing the amount of work I had to do while still maintaining a semblance of my humanity. (laughs) And that book has been enormously helpful. And I'm still, I'm going to, I'm trying to get them on my podcast. (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing. (laughs) So if y'all are listening to this, check your email. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that that interview with them, I feel like I remember listening to it kind of when I was in the midst of planning or starting this project. And it reminded me that the work that I'm doing with this is needed and valued and it's important. And it's something that it's not just me and a few others that feel like it's missing, but it's a big problem that we need to address and figure out how we can help others through it. Do you remember when I said I was going to be aggressively like shaking my head when I agree with you on things? <laughs> I may have given myself whiplash. <laughs> because this is so important. It's mm-hmm. so important. And I'm so glad that you are you have found this both for yourself, but also for the rest of us who are going to benefit from this research. Like, this is amazing. 
I'm very and, important. Yes, it is so important. And you kind of <laughs> hit something too, that this work is something that almost in a way gave me an incredible gift, a gift of myself again, and the gift of agency over myself. Dare I say and, the gift of imperfection? Of course. Yes. <laughs> oh, Yes. And that's something that when you do this work, when you take the time to prioritize yourself and your own personal health and wellness, it's almost like you're looking with new eyes in a way. You see things in a totally different way. You hear things in a different way. You're able to understand that your inner voice, not the critic, not the judge, not the one that's been mean to you for your whole academic career, but that voice that's in there that is telling you, you got this, is more of the star now, is bigger, is brighter. And it's telling you, and you can finally hear it, that you're worthy and that you're enough and you deserve to be here. I need to hear this. I know a lot of people need to hear this. And I know for so many of us, we are brought up in a very critical environment, not critical necessarily in like a bad way, but just a, a highly critical environment. So that critical voice in our heads is always so loud and so present and it drowns out any of those like, hey, you did that. Go you, you know, or hey, you nailed that audition or you just gave a really great performance or you hit that high note. You know, our brain always goes to, what did I do wrong and what can I fix? Instead of, where am I right now and what's going right? What am I proud of? What feels nice? Exactly. And we need to remind ourselves ourselves of those things once in a while. Yes. Because I need I to remind felt, myself. Yeah. <laughs> I think all of us do at, a, at one point or another. And kind of to jump back to why I came into this was because I couldn't hear that voice at all. The only voice I could hear was the critic and the judge. And I knew that there was something within me that needed to be uncovered. And I also want to tell young, young singers and musicians in general on their path that it's okay to prioritize yourself. It's okay to take some time to step away from the quote unquote grind and focus in on you. That was something that leap was so scary but it was the best leap that I could have taken for myself to take some time away from singing, quite frankly, and to do the work that needed to be done of let's find that good voice within, as in the one that is uplifting, that is supportive, that is your best friend, your biggest advocate, your strongest ally, the one that is in there. We got to bring it back up. We got to uncover it. And the judge and the critic, they may not go away completely, but it gets easier to put them away. And the things they say happen less and less, and they're quieter. It almost feels like often they are off in the distance. So maybe you hear part of it because of a gust of wind. I don't know. You hear just a little thing that they say, but you're able to hear more of the the you voice of, that was great. You're great. And I believe in you. It's okay. I cry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, 
it truly is embarrassing because of how many times I've cried on this podcast. <laughs> Everyone knows now. That, and you know what? It's fine. We're just, mm-hmm. I'm living my truth and my existence. And I experience emotions through my eyeballs. And that's just the way it is. And that's one reason why you're a beautiful artist, because you feel so deeply. In my eyeballs. In your eyeballs specifically. (laughs) So one of the things that I want to circle back to that I think bring me back to Art Song, you said that Art Song was one of the things that helped you reconnect with your artistry. I think that's enormously profound for many reasons, because one of the main ones is that as We go through academic institutions, training institutions, training programs, whatever. We are told, I was told, that the only, like, viable artistic singing career is to do opera. And I said, "Mm, are you sure? And that's when I discovered Art Song. And it opened up a whole new way. I was very lucky to have some champions in my time of saying, like, yes, this is okay. You can do this. But it was hugely important for me to have that artistic outlet. So I want to I want to hear about your experience and how Art Song brought you to sort of a new sense of your artistic self. Yeah, it was a similar experience where there's such a focus on your five arias, your aria package, learning new repertoire, and it was always arias. The only time you were really learning art song was for juries or proficiencies or whatever your school may call it, where you had to sing four different art songs and then get graded. But there wasn't, at least in my schooling, there wasn't as much of an emphasis on the storytelling capabilities. You're able to, kind of like I mentioned earlier, you're able to connect more to yourself in the moment. And with opera, you are a specific character in a show that is going through a specific journey. Now, how you maybe would sing a line or act a line and the meaning might be a little bit different, but there's kind of a a little bit of, let's say like 10 options or however many you have. You have so many different paths you could take and it's limited. Where once I started to dig into art song, I realized there was no limit as far as where you could take it because it was all about how you felt it, how you resonated with it, how you saw the story. There wasn't a 1880s blah, blah, blah in a little courtyard with, you know, you get to make the scene for yourself. You get to live out that scene, however your imagination creates it. And as someone that started more as an actor growing up, that opened the door for me for my creative side. Because I didn't feel like I had to think about, oh, how did the Met Opera do this in 2002? So I got to do all the movements. It was like, okay, I've heard recordings, but I get to put it in my own body. I get to tell the story how I want to tell it because it is my story now to tell. 
And something about having that much freedom and flexibility to make it mine helped me get back into myself as an artist because I was able to explore and to try things that maybe in a traditional aria, especially auditioning for yaps and theater companies. And I felt like had to be done a very specific way to even get noticed. But in an art song, I can just be me. So to ask the the real question and the point of the whole podcast is then to you, what is art song? I love this question so much. To me, art song is a mindful experience, a meditative moment, a journey to myself. And something about art song for me is it's so intimate. It feels like the writings of my inner thoughts coming out or like someone almost like Lizzie McGuire. Like I'm that little, <laughs> I like a little diary. I love that, that reference just happened. <laughs> I'm imagining like a little animated Shannon Cochran. Exactly. Like... <laughs> That's how it feels. Like it's like uh, my diary. And being a, a super emotional empath, I know, now you're going to see a little, a little Shannon. If any graphic artists or animation artists are out there listening to this, will you please send me a little cartoon of Shannon Cochran writing in a journal, please? I mean, you probably won't ever hear another Lizzie McGuire reference, but I'll pass that torch. See if anyone else can live up to that. Uh, <laughs> But anyway. it's it's that idea, though, of what I'm thinking or what I'm thinking is being communicated to the outside world. And sometimes I think about this idea that the reason why we sing is because we have more to share than if we were just talking. And that level of adding music in with speech and with the art song, the inner workings of your mind through this text is you sharing that intimate, that personal, that deeply vulnerable moment with whoever might be there to experience it. And with that, I, I really find art song to be almost a little terrifying because it is so vulnerable. It's so raw. And it is so wide open and it is so much about the self that it's thrilling. It's almost a little bit of a, an adrenaline seeking type of art form because you have to almost rip yourself open and be in that moment 100%. And it brings me back to this idea of it being a meditative, mindful moment because when you allow yourself to be mindful in that moment is when you're totally vulnerable, when you're totally open and you may have no idea what you're about to do, but how thrilling to be able to express yourself in that way. Absolutely. One of the questions that I have for you now is you have come from this beautiful explanation of how you see art song and how it's affected you, but also how you, you invest in it as a performer. How do you recover 
from these episodes of vulnerability. Like, I know that not all art song is like an exorcism of the soul, you know, like it's not always like this deeply profound emotional just sort of explosion where you just feel like empty but there is a certain level of like your soul that goes into these kinds of performances so what do you what do you do to recover from that you know if you have to give a lot of yourself in a performance or you have to give a lot of yourself into a story that I mean can be very emotionally draining and like at the end of the performance you're still expected to like say hi to everyone and go out for dinner or drinks afterwards, you know? So, like, how do you recover from that emotional um, expedition? That is such a, a good question, especially because I think a lot of times we forget that part after a performance is that so much time, energy went into what you just completed. And your body, your adrenaline is potentially going to crash. And it does often, you see people, and it's happened to me before, where you finish a long stretch of rehearsals and you've done your performances and then you get sick. Oh my gosh. Yep. I'm sure many people out there could relate to that. And so how do you recover? This is another part of your health and wellness and understanding your boundaries as far as after a performance, what do you need? And it's going to be different for everyone. Everyone's own health and wellness practice is totally different. So maybe for you, it's taking the space of 15 to 20 minutes after you finish, you stepped off stage to not greet anyone and to sit in your backstage area or wherever you might have a little space and to decompress, whether that's a meditation, whether that's just deep breathing, closing your eyes, just hydrating. Maybe that's something that works for you. Maybe for other people, decompressing would be telling the people that want to celebrate with you, like, I need to go home and sleep. So let's do a celebration brunch in the morning, figuring out what works for you. And so it might take some trial and error as far as, okay, I know I'm okay with hanging out with people, but I know that The day after, I just need to be home. I need to be home, alone, horizontal, not doing anything. (laughs) Always horizontal. Yes. And that's the biggest thing that I would stress is that what you need is uniquely yours. Your way to optimal health and wellness for your artists is truly your own practice. So how much sleep what kind of sleep, whether it's you prefer births. Some people like to take a little nap in the middle of the day. If you know that's what you need, awesome. What your diet is as far as like what you like to eat, it's yours. Your moments of joy, your simple pleasures, the things that you can be mindful in, they're yours. How you meditate or journal, it's yours. There's no right way to prioritize yourself, but it's the act of prioritizing yourself, your rest, your recovery will help you to be able to continue this and to avoid that burnout like we were talking about earlier. I think 
one of the things that I'm getting from this conversation most is like, yes, this is incredibly important, but especially as a woman, when I think generally the societal expectation is that we just give and give and give and give and give and give and give all the time. And setting those boundaries and taking time for yourself is not always, I would say generally not encouraged, but sometimes actively discouraged. I had to send an email today to someone and I said, hi, um, if you want to get a response to this email from, if you want to get a response to an email from me, like, don't send it to this email because I don't check it. I don't check it after 430 on weekdays and I don't check it on the weekends, you know, and I felt after I sent that email, I was like, is that okay? Am I allowed to do that? And I had that moment of questioning myself because we live in a time where we're expected to be available all the time. But especially as women, we're ex- we're really just expected to kind of do it, whatever it is, whether it's singing, being available for a performance, cooking dinner, cleaning your house, raising kids, accepting a job, you know, whatever it is. There's something that someone said to me once. It is not selfish to prioritize yourself. And that took kind of the breath out of me. Because like you were saying, I think people expect us to say yes. They expect us to work until we cannot work anymore, to go with that grind, to weed people out the weak, quote unquote, that can't survive the rigorous program, the the rehearsals, the practice, the this, the that, the ones that have to fade away, it's because they couldn't do it. And what a disservice that is. What a horribly archaic also way to look at things, to not understand that a real artist is a person wholly as who they are. It is not their work as far as the hours that they put in, just that. There's more to a person than the grind. There's more to a person than how much they put into others because eventually the lack of time spent on themselves is going to become apparent. And when that happens is when we see the real like big fallouts from people or huge burnouts or people changing things drastically. And it is not selfish to prioritize yourself. It is important. It is valid. It is necessary to take that time for you. And to, like you said, especially for women identifying people that you say, I need this. I need this for me. And I don't need to give a reason as to why. My reason is it's for me. And it's funny. uh, Of course, it was a male friend that was telling me about emails to kind of jump off of that, where I was talking about like, oh, you know, I have to say no to this. I don't know how to write the email. And I was like, what do I say as far as like why I can't do it? And they said, just say you can't do it. And the end. And that was a moment for me of, oh, I don't have to give all these reasons and all these things are out like, but uh, try to figure out some way I could do it or give them options. It's just say no or 
give whatever you are giving into that. And you don't need to give any reason, any excuse, just give your answer. And that was something that I have been working on recently too, is just knowing that if there's something that is not going to fulfill me, that is not prioritizing myself or is going to take away from that, I can just say no. I can say no and move on. I have to say, I did that very thing today. They asked me about something that was not in like a an agreed upon sort of structure of things. And I just said, nope, wasn't planning on being there. Didn't give an excuse as to why. And I just said, y'all figure it out. That's your job, not mine. This was not agreed upon and I'm not going to stretch myself out and do something I didn't agree to just because you think that I'm, you know, soft or weak or we'll find some way to make it work. I just said no. And to your point about like, talk about vulnerability, talk about fear, talk about like opening yourself up to criticism. <laughs> like that is the scariest thing is when you stand up for those boundaries you set for yourself or you just say no. And it's the hardest to do it when it's just for you. Like you do not always... I, for me, I shouldn't say like the royal you, but for me, I never feel like I'm a good enough excuse not to do something or my time. I'm like, it's fine. I'll just do it, whatever. But exercising that small little thing and saying, no, I'm just not going to because I am worth more than being stressed out about this thing or trying to make this deadline or doing something just because it makes your life easier. Well, I'm actually trying to make my life better right now. So no. And that's really scary. Oh, it's It's so scary. But the work of mindfulness meditation and all of those tools to figure out kind of the optimal balance for you will make it easier to say no to things or will make it easier for you to figure out what you want versus what you don't. And like you said, that first I would say like the first few times you write up that email or you call someone back or whatever it might be where you have to just prioritize yourself is so scary, so vulnerable because you're nervous. Like, what if they talk me into it? What if they somehow figure out like I'm actually free, but you know, I, I need that time or whatever. All those things start to creep what into your mind. What if they never but, hire you again? Yeah. And that's such a huge thing for musicians. We're always stressed about, am I going to lose a connection? Am I not going to get hired again? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And you can't live your life in the what ifs of, oh, if I I do that, what if they don't want to hear me sing again? What if I never get another job? Because you're just going to spiral yourself. And you have to know that the decision that you're making for yourself in that moment is the decision that had to happen. And it's not the end of the world. It is not going to make or break you. And frankly, if there is an instance or a moment where you have to cancel an audition or do something because of whatever's going on in your life, and then that does cause issue with someone, you don't want to really be working for that place or that company or those people because they don't deserve you. Well, clearly, if they don't prioritize you, they don't recognize that you're prioritizing yourself before they've even hired you. How will they value you as an artist when they actually do hire you? Right. Dr. Shannon, this has been 
a profoundly important conversation. I feel I say this literally every podcast. Oh my gosh, <laughs> y'all are gonna get so tired of me saying this, but this has been so important. Just first, selfishly for me, things I needed to hear, things I needed to be reminded of, and also just kind of a gentle nudge in the tush to kind of get myself back into like my self care practices. And I'm not just talking about face masks and bath bombs, but like things to actually <laughs> take care of myself. Thank you for that. Before we uh, wrap up here, I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions that I always wrap up my podcast with. And the first is, um, do you have any like projects or performances or anything that we can kind of keep our eyeballs out for? Bear in mind that this is coming out at the beginning of December. So anything that's happening in the next couple of weeks over Thanksgiving, we'll miss. Well, I recently did a performance, um, Femme Fatales, which was awesome. That was so fun. <gasps> right. Yes. yes. And I think that's kind of the future of art song and concerts and CSI does a lot of great work with that too. But as far as what's next, I, in the spring, in January, really, I'm doing a couple concerts. Um, one concert is going to be a donation-based concert, but it's going to be a discussion on music versus text. And it is going to be instrumentalist versus vocalists a little bit. And it's going to, where each of us are going to kind of make an argument as to whether that addition of the text or whether the music speaks for itself. So that'll be a fun evening. More details to come on that. But um, also you will be hearing a little concert from myself and as you all know and love him, Sam Martin, at some oh. point. We will be doing a, a concert um, with a couple friends, kind of a friends and fun evening. I love that. Not sure when the date is yet, but that'll be coming out soon. Yeah. But we'll keep our eyeballs out and ears out for all yes. of those things. That sounds amazing. And um, the last thing that I like to wrap up my pod with is, um, and I feel like this whole this whole episode has just been filled with wonderful, um, nuanced advice. But I like to close off our episodes with just a pithy piece of advice from our guests. So if you had one piece of advice to give, funny or not, serious, not whatever, you know, what what would your piece of advice be? My piece of advice would be trust that your path is valid. Trust that the journey you're on will see you through and understand that your journey is uniquely yours. And trust that I will pull some of these resources together and maybe you will see a, a blog or something from me soon. <laughs> that would be amazing because I feel like we all kind of know peripherally about all of these things but it would be really nice to have it all kind of in one spot. A yes. list of books, a list of, you know, yoga with Adrian videos that you like, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yes, she's great. If you need a place to start, truly a yoga video for anyone based off of what you want. Yeah, but just a nice kind of launch pad for all of those, all of those resources. And I think one of the things that I appreciate that you've emphasized so much is just there's, you have to figure out what's right for you but we also need to know where to start. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. like you've given us a good starting point. Hopefully. And I, if anyone out there needs any more guidance or 
has any other questions, always feel free to reach out to me. Um, you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, I've got In a website metaverse. that I've got to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anywhere, throw it out there. I'll, I'll catch it. I'll pick it up, but I'm always happy to get coffee with people or to have a discussion or just kind of chat about things. And, um, cause sometimes you just need someone there to, to listen and to guide or just to listen. And I'm happy to do any of that. We all need a Dr. Shannon Cochran in our life. And I'm very lucky to have the Dr. Shannon Cochran in my life. So I'm just so grateful for you and like your time and your artistry and just your beautiful self. It's good for my soul. And girlfriends are important. So important. That's another thing. Stress that times a million. (sighs) Those connections, those relationships with your girlfriends, hang on to them, friends. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you if you have that core set of girlfriends, man. And like also if there's like if as a singer, having like singer girlfriends, it's a beautiful thing. It's so much better to be supportive and empower others around you than to tear each other down. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep up with Song Cycle, new episodes will be out on the first Monday of the month. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to us. And be sure to check out our Spotify playlists. And as always, you can find out more at CincinnatiSongInitiative.org and follow us on all the socials. Until next time, just keep singing, y'all. This podcast is produced by Cincinnati Song Initiative and hosted on Anchor. This podcast episode was edited and engineered by Andrew Nally.